0: Hello and welcome to the Leading in Times of Challenge podcast produced by the Greater Des Moines Partnership. I'm your host, Mike Jefferson. Thank you for joining us as we talk with community leaders from across Greater Des Moines who share their greatest accomplishments and their biggest challenges. Now more than ever during these trying times, leadership remains crucial to the strength and resilience of our region. Let's hear from today's leader. Like to welcome you all back to the latest episode of the Leading in Times of Challenge podcast. If you are a first time listener, uh, thank you for joining us, and I hope you uh, find something um, that appeals to you in these episodes. And if you're a returning listener, I also want to show appreciation for you supporting this podcast. Uh, For everything podcast um, from the Greater Des Moines Partnership, I'd like to invite you all to check out dsmpartnership.com backslash Podcast, and you can check out other episodes not only from this one but other shows that the partnership produces as well. So today's guest, uh she's a pretty amazing woman. She she's done done quite a quite a bit. Uh, she started at the United Way of Central Iowa in 2011 as their Chief Community Impact Officer. Um, she oversaw the the uh, United Way's missions focused work and was promoted to president in 2017. And now we'll be getting ready to ride off into the sunset um, here very soon. And I'll let her talk about that a little bit more and maybe give you a little bit more insight as to who she is, but I'd like to welcome to Elizabeth Buck to the podcast today. Elizabeth, thank you for joining us.
1: Thanks Mike for having me today.
0: So just for, for people that may not know um, what all a uh, United way is all about or, or need a refresher course and maybe uh, also some things that you do in addition um, at United Way, maybe give us a little bit of a background about yourself.
1: Yeah. So let me first talk a little bit about United Way. So United Way is um, the, one of the strongest nonprofits I would say in central Iowa. We have been in central Iowa for over a hundred years and uh, we unite the community, the caring power of the community to bring um, all central Iowans together to tackle very large issues. And we just announced uh, a few months ago in January our focus, um, which is called United to Thrive. And we focus um, on five elements early childhood success, education success, economic opportunity, health and well being, and essential needs. And we um, are fortunate we're the number one per capita United Way in the country. So we have um, such a huge support from individuals and corporations in Central Iowa who make us that number one role. And we're fortunate and we take very, very seriously our role of investing the dollars that um, our community entrusts us with. And we um, invest in uh, nonprofits in Central Iowa who align with those five elements, um, always looking at our work with an equity lens um, to make sure that there are opportunities for all to succeed. And we just completed in 2020 our goals for 2020. So we for 12 years, we led um, the community around goals for 2020. Goals like increasing high school graduation rate to 95%. And when we started that work back in uh, 2008, we were at an 83% high school graduation rate for the 20 school districts that make up United Way of Central Iowa's footprint, which is Dallas, Warren, and Polk County. So um, we are now um, at 93.6% high school graduation, so we made more than a 10% gain in high school graduation, meaning that about 6,300 more kids graduated from high school that wouldn't have if we had just been satisfied with that 83% high school graduation. We also mobilize um, close to 15,000 Central Islands to volunteer um, to support the uh, work of United Way and our nonprofits. And we have a very strong advocacy agenda at the legislature because we know in some of the work that we do that it takes system changes um, to make a difference too. So uh, we have a broad footprint here at United Way of Central Iowa, but we're so honored that we have this role that is given to us by so many in our community who support us through donations, volunteering, or advocacy. Uh, So that's a little bit about um, United Way of Central Iowa.
0: And I would be remiss to say, uh, maybe talk a little bit too, because I think it had a pretty big impact here, uh, the 21-Day the Equity Challenge program that you guys uh, put on and and released. Talk about that a little bit.
1: Yeah. So thanks for mentioning that, Mike. Back in October of 2020, we launched um, the 21-Day Equity Challenge. And our goal was to bring together 10,000 Central Iowans to um, learn and grow in their knowledge about uh, <clears throat> diversity, equity, and inclusion issues, and uh, we uh, brought together a steering committee of about 30 people to help us put together the content uh, for the challenge, and if you had a chance to, to take the challenge, you saw that it had a broad uh, 21 day, different days of topics, and each day there were three to five different ways you could learn about that topic, so we had podcasts and videos and readings um, and quizzes that folks could take to get closer to the work, we ended up with 31, almost 31,000 Central Iowans who took the challenge together with us. And so we had an overwhelming response to it. And um, we were really thrilled uh, as a community leader, United Way, to be um, the folks who really took that on as something we felt was important for our community as we continue to grow and understand these equity gaps that are prevalent here. We also, um, after the challenge, we um, gave folks the opportunity to take a a post-survey. We did a pre and a post-survey, and uh, I think over 92% of those who um, participated in the challenge saw growth in their knowledge and empathy and understanding of what um, really um, is so important for all of us to understand that there really aren't equal opportunities for all in our community and how important that is. I think one of our most popular days was around housing. Um, It focused on redlining and some of the uh, federal policies that have um, been in place in our country that have made home ownership so hard for so many um, in our country and in our community. So it's, if you go to equitychallenge.org, you can take the challenge, you can start the challenge today. It's the content is still there. um, And we, are seeing a huge number of people who are starting to take the challenge, um, on their own, uh, doing it any day that they want to start it. So it's still there live for folks to utilize.
0: Very good. I was actually going to ask you about that. So that's good to hear that that is still available now. Um, with that program, do you see that becoming a recurring annual thing where it becomes a, a big deal annually or is this now, okay, we had the, the kickoff per se, um, and now it's up to you to kind of go venture out on your own,
1: well, it's there, and I think it's we' we look at it as a resource for anyone um in our community and well in our country. We have a lot of folks who are taking the challenge that are outside of central Iowa. But what we're thinking about now, Mike, is and what we heard from our community is maybe doing uh not a twenty one day but maybe a five day uh challenge in in different pieces and gotcha. since we now have launched these new five elements. Early childhood success, education, economic opportunity, health and well-being, and essential needs. Maybe doing a week on each of those five elements. So, um, like sometimes um, people don't understand, you know, what why are why is there not early childhood success for all? Wow. And what does that, you know, what does access to child care look like, quality child care, infant mortality, all those different pieces that go into play for any of these issues. So maybe doing it in smaller chunks, because we did hear from some that by the end of the 21 days, it was like, oh, my gosh, I'm still 10 days behind on my emails. Right. Or I, you know, it was really overwhelming, fabulous, but I needed to pause sometimes. So we're we're thinking about doing some smaller, some smaller chunks.
0: Yeah, it was definitely a lot of information uh, to take in. Um, yeah, it was very, very, very well done, though, I thought. So uh, kudos to you on that. So um, by the time this airs, um, we'll be about a month out from retirement. Um, so I think I kind of want to use that as the basis of our conversation today, um, because this is called Leading in Times of Challenge. So yeah. maybe as you I'm sure get closer to that retirement that you've kind of started reflecting on your career, things you've done, things that went well, things that maybe didn't go so well. Um, Let's, let's stick on that part real quick. Because like I said, because of the name of the podcast, um, talk about a time that you thought was super challenging and you were trying to figure out how you were going to navigate your way through it, whether it's something when you first started or even today. Obviously, we all know, um, if anybody's listened to other episodes of this COVID is, is the, obviously the, the big thing, um, as far as challenging times, because that's what people, that's by far been the most challenging thing that they've had to deal with. But um, if there is another time besides COVID that you want to share with us, tell us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah. So you're right, Mike, as I get closer to um, sort of the end of this phase of my career, you know, you do reflect back on uh, the difference you've made in 40 years. And I think um, I've been fortunate that I've had so many opportunities uh, in my career and what's, interesting when you reflect back on it. First thing I would say is none of it was planned. I graduated from college with a political science degree. Um, I was very active in politics and started my career working in politics in um, Iowa and never thought that I would end up leading a, you know, United Way or a, a nonprofit. But I have, like I said, I've been fortunate that when there was a closing of one door, there was opening of another opportunity that, um, I was able to jump into. And in many cases, I just sort of said, look, this, this sounds interesting. And I think I can make a difference. And it connects with sort of my, my root value system, uh, which has been, you know, throughout all my career, it's really been based on, um, reducing poverty and uh, looking at the equity gaps that are there for so many. But, um, there are a number of times in my career where there were, um, Crisis management skills really came into play. Um, I was fortunate to work um, for Governor Vilsack um, for um, his full term for the eight years that he was at the Capitol. And um, during that time, 9-11 occurred. And um, it was one of those, uh, of course, we had, you know, emergency management guides and lots of different um, plans that were in place, you know, that folks who are experts on that had put together. But it was such a um, pivotal event um, that was aired for all of us to see. And being at the center of leadership at the, um, in the state of Iowa, just having to manage that um, from so many different angles, because obviously it was nothing that we could control at the state level, but we learned very quickly how important it was to over-communicate uh, what we were seeing from our vantage point and how Iowans um, could could deal and, and um, keep themselves safe and their families safe during, you know, a very trying time. Um, I then went to lead Iowa Workforce Development. And when I started uh, there at Iowa Workforce Development, it was after a very large federal scandal that happened in our community called CTEC. And, you um, Six months into the, into the role, the recession hit, and we tripled the number of Iowans who were on unemployment insurance, and I realized how important, first of all, how important the staff was that worked at Iowa Workforce Development, because they were the lifeline for so many people who lost their jobs to no fault of their own, and how important unemployment insurance is for those individuals and families, but also for our community. Because without, you know, for example, you know, the layoff of of Maytag in Newton mm-hmm. affected such a large population of that community that without those uh, checks coming in every week, you know, that community would not have been able to um, rebound um, like right. they have. And so, um, I just learned that you you have to um, always. Put one foot in front of the other every day and every moment. And you have to deal with the facts that you have at that moment and you have to make decisions based on those facts. Um, they may, you know, six months later you may have different facts and you may question that decision you made, but somebody has to, has to lead and has to give uh, comfort and guidance to, uh, those you're leading in terms of your staff, but also, um, the communities and the, and the state. So, uh, I have a, I think I have an ability to stay calm under um, pressure points just because I've had to do that for so many different crises. Um, so when I came into the pandemic, uh, into this role, and we, we knew how important United Way was going to be during, this, uh, during COVID-19, we really leaned into a technique that I utilize with a lot of different things that I lead is looking at guiding principles. And so we spent time as a leadership team really coming up with what are the key core values or principles that we wanted to use to lead us through this this crisis. And, you know, for us at that point, it was, you know, making every attempt to support our number one asset, which was our staff, and to advance our mission by supporting our donors and volunteers and others um, and, you know, communicating with them. And to make sure that we knew that there was going to be those who were going to be hit hardest, especially those low income, and that we leaned into supporting them. So we we set those guiding principles on March 17th of 2020, not knowing, you know, at that point, I think we probably thought, oh, we'll be back in the office in six weeks, yep. you know, but those principles we utilize uh, throughout the whole 15 months.
0: Now, and that's a, that's a perfect segue, Elizabeth. Um, yeah. Yeah. Talk about, you know, you just mentioned your teams um, and also the ability to have to lead, which means making tough decisions. Um, And we all know no matter what organization uh, that you lead or what business that you lead, they're not always the right decisions. You're always going to have people that have opinions Mm -hmm. on either side of the fence. So in your role, talk about, um, you know, some of these things you talk about 9-11, you talk about the Tech scandal, you talk about COVID. Um, tell our listeners how you navigated your teams through those different trying times. You mentioned the guiding principles, but I guess maybe get a little bit deeper um, because I'm sure, again, your teammates may have had and your your support groups may have had different thoughts on how to handle things. How do you how do you reel all that in and make it work?
1: So I think what we did and what I try to lean into is, first of all, adding structure to what sometimes seems like chaos. So we um, had daily leadership team meetings um, starting, you know, March 15th, 14th last year. And those may have only been 30 minutes in length, but it helped us all to stay um, in the communication loop. Because somebody on my team may have heard something that I haven't heard and just making sure we're all on the same page and making consensus decisions. So once um, the leadership team made the decision, we all agreed that we would hold hands and that's the this decision we would communicate. We also, I also implemented a Friday update. So because we were so virtual, everyone on staff receives an email from me every Friday with sharing as much information as I can. I believe in being as transparent as possible because, um, it doesn't make it any easier on anybody if they don't understand the fact pattern that got you to a decision. So, um, in my Friday emails, I have, you know, shared, you know, how hard it is to make decisions about when and where to return to the office and some of those other things that are just on people's minds all the time. And, um, you know, some some weeks I don't hear back from anybody on staff saying I, I thank you or anything, but I know that they're in their inbox and I know they're reading it and hopefully they feel like we, um, as a senior leadership team, were able to share with them as much as possible to keep them in the loop. Um, we also included, um, increased our communication with our donors and volunteers because uh, there is so much that United Way has had to do differently during the pandemic. For example, a perfect example is 211. Uh, We run the 211 call center, and uh, on March 20th, we were stood up as the COVID hotline, and we, you know, just our call volume, we we uh, just saw an enormous uh, uptick in calls, and so it meant that not only our five call five call agents, but all of us on staff were going to have to help answer calls, and. You know, it just was important for for all of us to be there because that was such a lifeline for so many to have that ability to call a number and
0: talk. So, so how do you they, so how do you pivot f- for that or, or prepare for that when you have people that have probably never been on the phone before or aren't used to that in their current roles? And all of a sudden you're saying, hey, we need to get it together because there are an overabundance of people that need our help. Um, how do you do, how do you do that? Because and, and I guess on the fly. For-
1: yeah. So, you know, we, it was, we had to do it very quickly. We had not used at home agents before COVID-19. So we um, quickly pivoted with that software so that everyone could make, um, could answer calls from home because of safety. Mm-hmm. And then um, we just put out the call to staff first and said, who is willing to do it? Who, and it, gotcha. it, not only is it um, someone who's good and empathetic on the phone, but we also have a texting platform. So some people are, super good at texting. And they're like, you know, I'd love to just text. I can answer all the texts. We had a website. So keeping the website up to date. So uh, staff were really quick to pivot to say, you know, I'm not, I can't do my job the same way from home. So I would love to answer calls. Give me that opportunity. So we of course had to do a training. And as you, as you remember back in March, almost daily, the message was changing. Mm -hmm. So we had to (laughs) Mm -hmm. always keep everybody in the loop um, about, you know, So a caller asks about um, social distancing or safety at work. Here's the message that we need you to say. So uh, it was a rally. It was a really a rallying point for us too. I think, you know, years from now, I think folks are going to take a lot of pride in the fact that they were able to help so many um, to get the guidance they needed.
0: Right. that makes perfect sense. But I got to ask did you get any pushback from teammates? Did you, did you have people that were like, oh my goodness, I I can't get on the phones. I'm not getting on the phones. Did you have to reel any of that? Because you know, like I said, for every part of it that's sunshine and rainbows, you know, there's always times where you're like, "All right, <laughs> we got to get it yeah, together." Yeah, so I
1: think we, when we had folks who who were just like, you know, I'm not comfortable on the phone, I'm shy, I'm whatever that whatever the reasons makes me nervous. And then we said, "Well, you do you like to text? Are you somebody who can help us with the messaging? Maybe you can be the person who helps disseminate." So there were roles for everybody. Perfect. Didn't have to necessarily be the folks that were taking the the direct calls, but. It became a team effort. And then I think the second wave that's been so interesting in 2021, we were called up to be the vaccine navigator, 211. So we um, started first um, doing calls, callbacks, and calls to seniors. And we had corporate friends here in Central Iowa, CDS Global and Athene, who volunteered their call center staff okay. to help us. Um, so that was a, you know, a, a great corporate partnership. Um, and we also had Telogen um, in March of 2020, who said we've got staff who usually are scheduling um, uh, surgeries and obviously surgeries are not happening right now. So if you want our staff to help, help you guys answer the phones, and they were fabulous because they're full-time, mm-hmm. you know, that's what they do for, uh, you know, for a living. So they were perfect. Um, Partners for us um, as we were doing, you know, needing them, and so we built, you know, I think such a awareness in our community now about uh, what is two one one, and you know, I think that'll stand up well for us in the future.
0: Gotcha. So just uh, just as a sidebar here to those of you listening, some some little nuggets. I hope you've picked up communication is key. Um, finding roles for your people where they're comfortable will help you be more productive and have less pushback from your employees and partnerships internally and externally are super important. Um, you just obviously just touched on that. So I just want, I'd always like to sidebar it sometimes so that people can pull out. I'm I'm like a cheat code. I I help people (laughs) get the answers that they're looking for. So that's right. There you go. I like it. (laughs) So now let's, let's uh, shift ever so slightly from the team aspect, because, okay, you have to make in your role as president crazy decisions on the fly. We've already talked about this numerous times, but dealing with the things that you've had to deal with in this role, um, not only are we talking COVID we're talking, you know, the, the injustice, the George Floyd murders last summer, right around the time of the equity challenge. Um, any other injustices that have occurred, obviously within the last, decade or two you know further than that how in your role are you do you keep your batteries recharged and and ready so that you can handle because these are some these are heavy these are not light issues these are very heavy issues to deal with um, from a, a team and personal personal perspective I'm, I'm sure how Elizabeth do you stay able to do that day in and day out year in and year out? Um, you know, to, to make sure that, that you can handle these things.
1: Mm-hmm. It, may, it may sound trite, but one of the things that um, I have been fortunate to have is I have been able to meet <clears throat> so many people who have been impacted by United way. And when I get the time to meet individuals, it could be somebody with lived experience in poverty it could be a mom who's struggling with childcare. care. Uh, I had the advantage and the privilege to meet a family who, for the first time, were utilizing the food pantry system uh, this year. And you might think that would be exhausting. But for me, it really is energizing because I understand then, oh, my gosh, what I do every day makes a difference for so many and it's one thing to lead with your head, and I do that, you know, probably 75% of the time in my mm-hmm. role, but to be able to lead from my heart is really a privilege. And uh, I've met so many people who um, have the resili- such amazing resilience and who um, are doing so much with so little. And uh, it just that really energizes me to know that we can make a difference, all of us, each of us can make a difference um, in some ways with family, friends, neighbors, our community. And so that's one way that I get energized. Um, I also, when I'm not working, uh, I have an amazing family who live here in Des Moines, and I have a three-year-old granddaughter who doesn't know anything about any of these issues, and she just wants to have fun. And she wants she wants Mimi to be right there with her, having fun with her. So that's always energizing And then um, I am a quilter. So it's so different from anything that I do during the day uh, that I can just uh, find time to make um, some art through quilting um, that energizes me also.
0: And I'm I'm assuming that now with retirement on the horizon, you're looking forward to doing more of that and spending more time with your, your family and your granddaughter.
1: I am doing a little traveling, too, and giving back. Um, we're staying, my family is staying here, and I'm looking forward to uh, being able to pick and choose the ways that I can give back to the community.
0: Awesome. And so as we wrap this up, because I know you're busy, I want to let you get back to uh, to work here. Yeah. Um, even though you are moving on, the the mission continues with United Way. So uh, for those listening out there, what is the best way or, or ways to learn more about United Way, the programs that they offer and ways that they can support? Uh, United Way of Central Iowa?
1: I would say the best way um, is to go to our website, to start with our website, United Way of Central Iowa. Uh, We have a lot of information on there about our new focus, United to Thrive, and the many ways that folks can connect. We also have the volunteer portal on there. So if you're interested in a volunteer opportunity for you or your family, you can find uh, listings of all the nonprofits in Central Iowa list with us their volunteer opportunities. So it's not just united way volunteer activities it's anything in the community so that's a great place and take a look at our advocacy agenda because i think one of the things we've learned in 2020 is all of us have a voice and we can make a difference and so if you are willing to connect with our advocacy agenda and can can use your voice to talk to a legislator or a city council person uh we would love that also so uh, go to our website to start there. Uh, you can also donate online too. So that's um, one way, another way you can connect with us. Certainly an important way.
0: Great. Well, any final tips, nuggets of wisdom that you'd like to share, especially maybe for somebody that's uh, just stepping into a leadership role for the first time.
1: One of the things that I think is so unique about central Iowa is that leaders at all levels are so accessible I remember when I first uh, joined United Way back in 2011, I reached out to some of the uh, corporate leaders, Suku Radia and others, Steve Chapman. And, um, you know, I sent them an email thinking that they're probably going to just email me back and say, good luck. You know, glad you joined United Way. No, they were like, Hey, do you want to meet next week for coffee? And I'm like, Gosh, me? Sure. You know, and so I think um, don't be afraid if you see somebody um, on LinkedIn or somebody that you've seen uh, talk or, or leading something, connect with them. Uh, we are all accessible and we all enjoy mentoring uh, future leaders. So uh, don't be afraid to reach out because I think most Central Iowans will answer your your request and would be, would love to have coffee with you.
0: Well, Elizabeth, hopefully uh, we can do that now too, especially with the vaccinations rolling out. Yeah. Uh, maybe we can get together some time before, uh, before retirement here for you. But uh, I want to thank you for your service, the things you've done for uh, Central Iowa and also for United Way. Um, appreciate you taking the time to join us on the podcast today, and uh, wish you well in the future.
1: Thank you, Mike. Thanks for even including me.
0: Thank you for listening to the Leading in Times of Challenge podcast produced by the Greater Des Moines Partnership. To listen to more stories of inspiration, please visit dsmpartnership.com.